Alright everybody, welcome to the December 13th edition of Cascadian Views. It's me and Dan this week. How you doing? I'm doing alright. How are you doing, Brock? I am rejoicing that American democracy was not at stake in the Supreme Court uh, as one of my big ones. Um, first topic, I guess, then we'll go right into that. Uh, Texas was the lead state. Um, although they were joined by, I believe, 18 other states, plus two non-existent states. I don't know if you saw that. How's that? What? <laughs> the potential states Fredonia? of New California and New Nevada oh, submitted Jesus amicus Christ. briefs joining that case. D did they cite the gold fringe flags? I think they must have somewhere in this lawsuit. They did not. Uh, they were very <laughs> open about their potential new state status. <laughs> But it, it was something uh, of a comical moment out of that. Um, but in the end, the Supreme Court denied cert in a unsigned decision, I believe. Um, there were two justices who would have granted certification, but they clarified that they would have granted no other relief whatsoever. They would not have put any sort of administrative hold on it. They would not have done any sort of injunction. Uh, they would not have done anything to stop the electors from uh, being selected tomorrow on Monday. Um, that was Thomas and Alito, I believe, yeah. uh, who have a long-standing and very documented history of the belief that uh, constitutionally the Supreme Court does not have the ability to, to decline a state-first-state state action, an original jurisdiction action. Right. Uh, so they stuck to that, but they did seem to go out of their way to clarify that that does not mean they thought the president had a chance now. We wanted to hear it for, for giggles. No, because we we're, we're devoted to this weird dogmatic, yeah, idea of original jurisdiction. But, yeah, we just wanted to tell Trump that he was full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, this was a case that Trump had really selected as his last best hope, I guess you could say. Um, he had directly sought to intervene in this suit on behalf of the states uh, allied with Texas, just in case Texas itself didn't have standing, which, surprise, they did not. Um, Ted Cruz also offered to be the lawyer to argue this case before the Supreme Court, which just tickles me pink. Some of that's got to be kind of calculated going for Trump cred, knowing that there was not a chance in hell that it was actually going to be heard, but he gets to be seen as loyal by the MAGAs. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of which, in response to this, Trump has been uh, really highlighting a series of Stop the Steal rallies, including a big one in D.C. that uh, I believe ended fatally, or at least there were a okay. bunch of stabbings. Uh, there was a shooting at a Stop the Steal rally up in your neck of the woods at Olympia, Mm -hmm. um, there was just kind of an outbreak of, of MAGA violence uh, this weekend. D.C., there's rather disturbing video of the two protest groups uh, getting into a confrontation. Shots ring out. Somebody drops. The man holding the gun retreats with the MAGA crowd away from the uh, you know Black Lives Matter, Antifa sort of counter demonstrations. Um, not, not a good time. In America. Probably a disturbing preview of a lot of what we're going to be in for over the next few years. Although, again, they were doing a lot of this crap for Obama, too. Yeah. So, I don't 
think there were quite so many gunshots. Yeah, but they were just carrying the guns back yeah. in 2009. So, yeah, they're using back. them now. So that's not a great escalation. Yeah. A, um, another wrinkle to this is that there were a large number, in fact, a majority of congressional Republicans that signed on in support of the Texas suit. It's something Chris highlighted when uh, he still thought he was going to be here today. The... Um, well, it really is sedition. Use the word sedition for that. The Attorney General of Pennsylvania also used seditious as an adjective to describe the legal action Texas was pursuing in his brief for the Supreme Court. Uh, a majority of congressional Republicans think that uh, voters don't matter. Right. Really no that sugarcoat in that. Only their own voters matter, I guess, which is not a great road for us to be on in terms of the health of democracy and just the future of this country. That there seems to be just such an impasse over who is just by nature legitimate to participate in politics. I, I think that's actually a pretty nice bridge. The other thing I wanted to talk about, um, the Georgia runoffs are coming up. They're going to determine control of the Senate. Uh, early voting is on a pace to match or exceed the, uh, the presidential election just a couple weeks ago, judging by the early vote so far, which is good news for the Democrats. Um, one of the things that caught my eye, though, is that just like an hour and a half ago, Newt Gingrich, former congressman and Speaker of the House from Georgia, uh, jumped all over the Georgia Secretary of State for uh, putting in voting drop boxes, ballot drop boxes, and other things which Gingrich said, quote, help Democrats win, end quote. Uh, really seemed to be saying the quiet part out loud there. Yeah, just the idea that if <laughs> making it easy for people to vote or making it possible to vote while we're in these unprecedented and dangerous you know, physically dangerous for people's health times, you know, just allowing them to vote without, you know, possibly making themselves sick is somehow tilting things for Democrats, which is really gross. Mm -hmm. The, uh, the Georgia runoffs are, are kind of weird, uh, and that runoff elections are always kind of weird, but I'm pretty surprised at the number of people voting uh, so far. Let me pull up those exact numbers. Uh, 246,531 people have already voted in the 2021 Georgia Senate runoff. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I, what's kind of baffling for me is, I mean, at least on the face of it, it can't just be in general voting access is going to result in better results for Democrats, because that doesn't on its face seem to be true. I, mean, I think it does in certain states. Um, yeah. Especially in states where the Democratic coalition is um, highly to be lower class uh, Americans, which to be mm -hmm. fair, they're a large part of any coalition uh, for Democrats, but 
they're especially important in, in certain states. You know, there are plenty of other states where the, the working class population uh, tends to be Republican. Yeah. Um, you can see that in places like Kentucky, for example. Uh, but by and large, in, in most of America, the, the working class is the party of the Democrats. And those are the people who tend to have a hard time getting time to vote. You know, if you work a yeah. nine to five with the schedule that, you know, the days you're on changes every week or something like you're in the service industry, you may not be able to to have time on the day of to vote, being able to give your ballot to a drop box at the day that's most convenient to you when you don't have anywhere else to be is helpful with that sort of thing. Um, Being able to to stand in line for long periods of time, uh, even things like transportation, if you're reliant on a bus schedule and it turns out you have to wait in line longer than you thought, you may not be able to vote because you have to go get, you know, wherever you need to be next and you don't have that time to sit around for it. Um, I, I do think in Georgia that ballot access helps Democrats, but okay. also as secretary of state, your job is to administer the elections, not to take sides. You know, you are literally there to make sure that the people who want to vote can vote. You're not supposed right. to think about whether or not they're voting for your guy or the other guy. Yeah, yeah. And so it is gross that, you know, Gingrich is specifically working the ref to, you know, you should be going for one side. You're a Republican. You have a you have a voting interest and an obligation to serve the party in this role, which is you know, quasi-neutral. I mean, it's still a partisan election that elects, you know, secretaries of state in the first place, but uh, in most states. Yeah, but just very mask off and saying you have to be part of a political machine. Mm -hmm. Literally laying it out there that your job should be making it easier for Republicans to win. Right. Uh, Which is disturbing as all hell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just to kind of circle back to the legal issues, because it uh, correlates with this on another topic, Sidney Powell, who was the lawyer that Trump kicked off his legal team uh, before saying he had never had her on his legal team, <laughs> um, is now telling Republicans to boycott the Georgia Senate uh, runoffs unless they get rid of all the voting machines. Hell Yeah. Yeah. Stop the steal. They wouldn't back up Trump. So <laughs> they don't deserve your vote. <clears throat> yeah. Kind of awesome. Kind of wild watching the leopards eating vases party eat some faces. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it'll make a dent, but maybe. And that'd be great. You I mean, know? Anything will help. The presidential margin was only like 14,000 votes. I think it even came down from that because they found a couple thousand more votes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I mean, that's, I guess, yeah, I was, you know, thinking back to uh, turnout again, I mean, part of what has resulted in such high turnouts is, yeah, we're generating very high turnout trying to get Trump out of office, but something about him personally has just supercharged this, what's the term people have been using, low social trust voters, you know, conspiracy theorists, people who are not particularly engaged politically, but see Trump as, you know, their exemplar. And so they're turning out to vote for him in massive numbers that they typically don't. 
So if that could, if that phenomenon can be avoided in this runoff, that would be good, you know, helpful for us. I mean, that typically happens when he's not on the ballot. It happened in the 2018 midterms for sure. Right. We we fucking swept that, and you know, Trump tried his best to get those people out, but without him there, they didn't care. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It was. I mean, that was the difference between 2018 and 2020. You had a I think ultimately, what, a plus eight, plus nine Democratic environment as mm. far as generic ballot versus, well, here we saw it was plus, you know, four and a half. And that made a huge difference for House races, for all these Senate races we were hoping to win. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, shit, we're going through this quick. Um <laughs> <laughs> Let's let's talk about Seattle then, because they're somewhat controversial mayor, uh, I would say, or at least there have been controversies while she was mayor. Yeah, <laughs> Ed Murray, Ed Murray was controversial. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is more of a fight that I think most of the rest of America wouldn't understand. It's really progressives against the less progressive. <laughs> It's, right. It's not really a political fight you see much in, you know, places that are San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, that sort of thing. Oh, you, you see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the types of cities that you're talking about there. Yeah. Where it's, you know, left versus more left. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but she will not be running for reelection. Um, Dan, you and I were talking yeah. in the pre-show about this. And Apparently that's that's relatively common up in Seattle to get one-term mayors. Uh, of course, the last one we covered the scandal on the show. Um, there was some potential sexual impropriety with minors back in the day, so that one really went nowhere. But uh, right. you mentioned the previous mayor from that tried to run for a second term and was really looking for it and yeah. wasn't able to get it. Mike McGinn, yeah, he was more of the, uh, I think, kind of a bridge between the left and more left factions. And yeah, he ended up beating, getting beaten by Ed Murray. Um, but yeah, we've, it's been a good 10 years now. No, actually 15 years now, I guess, since Seattle has reelected a mayor. So it's, it's been a long time. Uh, not quite sure what to make of that. I mean, it's not like, I mean, these have been very, very, prosperous times for the Seattle area. I mean, it's growing by leaps and bounds still. Uh, housing prices are going through the roof, which has had a flip side where, you know, greater homelessness and other issues associated with it. But, uh, yeah, you'd think in, you know, very prosperous times like these that, you know, people would be more happy with leadership. But uh, clearly there is a lot of struggle for what Seattle's future is supposed to look like. And, as we mentioned, it's on an axis that is very different from a lot of the rest of the country between, you know, more of a, I think you'd call it more of a mainline or more of a, what most people think of as a left-wing position and then what people would think of as a very left-wing position is really the battle lines that are in a lot of these urban areas like you talked about. Uh-huh. And yeah, that leaves it wide open for 2021. You know, as much as you and I and, you know, the people we associate with have been really rapturized by these social justice uh, protests and, you know, hanging on them and 
really following along with them because we agree with the cause. I think one of the real animating issues in both Portland's recent mayoral election and it seems like behind the scenes up in Seattle there is that that homelessness issue. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to be really exploding. Um, I would imagine that's because of COVID and all that. But, you know, I you go down Powell and every single parking lot has been turned into a, a shantytown. Um, mm-hmm. Just in downtown, the the streets are, are covered in tents and whatnot. We really need to do something about this. And it's so strange because the two sides are so completely in different worlds on what we need to do. You know, I, I look at this as a, a crisis of government, a crisis of the civilization. We need to provide, you know, opportunities for these people. And I cannot believe the number of people who just want to pack everybody into a flatbed truck and dump them 10 miles outside of town. Well, I mean, that's not really what's entering into the debate, is it? I mean, there's not really a component for that. Oh, yeah, it is. Oh, really? Yeah. You won't see it in as many words, but you go into, like, well, the Oregonian doesn't have a comment section anymore, but Mm -hmm. if you go into... You know, the, the Oregonian articles posted to the Portland subreddit and look at the comment, uh, comments, there's hundreds of upvotes for people saying we need to just ship them out of town, that throw them all in jail, you know, get them off the street, take it all back. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, it gets a little scary when I see that sort of stuff. I mean, I really feel like half this country, even in a relatively liberal city like Portland, is straight on ready for the purge and shit. Wow. I mean, I, I, I guess what I was trying to get at is that uh, a faction that you know has any representation in the government like in the city council or i mean in candidates for mayor i mean that they're strategic with it um okay the the candidates who are uh most into lowering the rent and public housing and whatnot those were um, of office in their last election chloe Udley who had really become a, a huge enemy of landlords and whatnot, for example, was uh, handed her walking papers. They had coalesced around this guy named Mingus Maps. Um, and I believe he actually ended up winning this. Yeah. Um, Mingus Maps is a... Uh, he, he's a black man. He has a PhD in government. He's... Very qualified. I don't want to cast aspersions on him, but he is much more moderate than Chloe Udley was, um, specifically in his response to like landlords and property developers and whatnot. He's not any sort of a MAGA type. He's in fact pretty left wing. Um, yeah. But they decided they liked him better than they liked Udley and spent a lot of money getting him elected. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. He's a former political science professor. He's a good guy. I have no problem with him being on the council in in general. I think he's more than qualified, and we need more minority representation uh, in Portland. But, you know, he was Mm -hmm. put in place because they saw an opportunity to get rid of one of their worst enemies, even if the new guy isn't all that great for him either. And they did that with a couple other seats in the council as well, although there was some funkiness with those two. Uh, Sam Adams tried to run again, come back into politics. Uh, But yeah, it's kind of weird. Hmm. 
Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so that kind of takes us back up to Seattle and, you know, things are, again, wide open again. At least the articles I've seen, there's a lot of speculation that I want to say the two uh, the area-wide members of the city council are considering running, uh, Teresa Mosqueda and uh, Lorena Gonzalez. Uh, I think both of those are probably, I don't want to pigeonhole them, but more in the Mike McGinn bridge between the two, you know, left and further left sides of things. I mean, they're not Kashama Sawant necessarily, but they're somewhere between that position and uh, Durkin and Burgess and some of the others like that. Uh, but yeah, wide open. I think there was speculation that the uh, former police chief who had a like, fairly short tenure here, Carmen Best, might be in the running. Uh, it's yeah, it's been just a few days, but it sounds like a lot of people are uh, throwing in the mix. And I guess uh, Durkin herself didn't really give a reason for why she's not running. Just I don't know you know, the joke. You know, just gestures vaguely around everything. <laughs> look, look at you know what life is like here. Uh, I don't want four more years of this. I'm gonna go and find something less stressful to do. And just focus on being mayor for the next year, which, I mean, that's perfectly admirable. You know, you don't, rather than cutting off your term a year early so you can, you know, focus on running for office again, you can actually spend the fourth year governing. Mm-hmm. Was she the mayor when uh, you guys up there replaced the Alaska Viaduct? Uh, that's been kind of going for ages and ages and ages. But, I thought uh, the tunnel that they're replacing with was already open. Uh, well, I mean, it was a process that was very lengthy. Uh, let's see here. Um, yeah, 2019 was when okay. that was finalized. And so, yeah, that was during her tenure. But it, it, it was a long time in the making, from what I understand, between the tunnel and then finally getting around to destroying the viaduct itself. Yeah. Um, I only asked because I actually just watched a really interesting documentary on the Loma Prieta quake um, and the Cypress Hill viaduct flattening. It was America's worst road disaster. Like 40 people died. Um, and they transitioned to the Alaska Way viaduct up in Seattle because that was essentially the same sort of design and falling apart and way older than the uh, Cypress viaduct was. Um, and so they went in a bit into that project in the tunnel, and I was just impressed by how big <laughs> the yeah. operation was, and I wanted to give her kudos if she was the mayor who kind of led them through that. Kind of to the very end, because, yeah, it, that was 10 years in the making. Hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, do uh, you have a preference on her replacement? Definitely going to have to see more about the candidates. Initially, I mean, I definitely like Mosqueda and her background. She's a, you know, has come out of the labor movement, lots of strong ties there. Um, so she'd be an early favorite for me, but we definitely have to see more of uh, who's going to be getting in the mix. Okay. And it's still a while before that election, right? There's a year or so. Oh, yeah. Not till November. Okay. So it's yeah. Yeah, 11 months away. There will be a Mayor Durkin for quite a while. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else you want to mention? 
that's yeah, I can't think of a whole lot else. We're kind of getting to the holiday slow times unless there's a military coup. So <laughs> which some are openly calling for, uh, including some people who ought to know better. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know which side they think the military is going to be on, so... <laughs> oh, God, it very well could be on both sides. The vote split 50-50 for military voters yeah, <laughs> in the yeah. last election. That would be a fuck show. Mm-hmm. All right, well, I'll talk to you next week, I suppose. All right, see you next week, Brock. Have a good one.